I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome in to this week's episode of the It's Who Tells World podcast. Tom Hacken alongside Steve Bartle. Disclaimer, right off the bat, I sound like I've been hit by a bus. I just have a, I just have a cold. I have a, a nasal cold. I went and got tested yesterday. It came back negative. So we, we are COVID free over here. <laughs> but my head is heavy, people. So I apologize if I come through sounding rather sick. I'm actually not that sick. I just... I just have like a lot of congestion, which this it's the worst. I hate it. It just, it makes yeah. me feel so bad. So I don't feel great, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly sick. So anyway, I apologize in advance. This podcast sponsored by Nate Wade Subaru, 2107 South Main Street, Salt Lake City, uh, October. We're still in October, right? We're coming to the end of October is uh, Subaru Loves Pets Month. And Sub- Nate Wade Subaru have teamed up with, West Valley Animal Shelter for every furry friend you buy, Nate Wade Subaru will donate $100 to the kitty bank or the piggy bank, whatever it's called, the doggy bank, whatever you want it to be. Uh, so go down to the West Valley Animal Shelter, pick up a furry friend, cat or dog, and uh, some money will be thrown to them for good cause. He's Steve Bartle. Check him out at sbartle247 on Twitter. Or at utan.com, I'm Tom Hackett at Tom Can't Hackett on Twitter or KSLSports.com. Steve, you made the drive to Corvallis, my friend. How was it? Big mistake, Tom. Big mistake. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, no, it was great. Like it was, so it was me and Kendra, we took uh, took the drive up to Corvallis. It was a very long drive. Well, how long uh, is but, it? Uh, it was like, it's like 12 hours or so. It was really pretty. It was a really pretty drive, you know, driving up the, uh, what was that, the 84 into Portland and, and all that. Like, that was really nice. But the weather was crap. The Wi-Fi was crap. Yeah. I was just, it was a rough weekend. And then, you know, obviously the game too. But, um, but yeah, like it was, it was still fun. Me and Kendra had a lot of fun still. I have a soft spot for Cavallis, I must admit. They have a uh, they have a fair they put on on uh, I, it must be Saturday morning, I guess. Last time I was up there, I obviously wasn't part of the football team. I was part of the radio team, and you know, there's a ton more freedom when you're not with the football team. Right. You do your thing, go out for dinner, and uh, we went out for dinner. Must have been Friday night, and then yeah, that Saturday morning there was this fair. It was along the river. It was beautiful, magnificent oh, fair. Wow. Uh, good food, good little arts and crafts. And then uh, there's also a, an Australian meat pie shack, I guess you'd call it, little cafe that uh, they have in Corvallis, which I loved. Hey. I went there and just polished a couple meat pies, just like I was back home. And um, so I do have a soft spot for Corvallis. The weather's never all that good, though. Anytime I've been up there, it just rains, which I actually yeah. don't mind in Melbourne, Australia. In the wintertime, it rains a lot. In Salt Lake or in the desert, it doesn't rain a ton. So when it rains, I kind of get excited because we don't get it a yeah. ton here in Utah. But outside of that, you know, it's, um, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, the game, Steve, what happened? Well, 
We're we're diving into this, Tom. Are we, I mean, are like, ready yeah, to... let's just go. All right. <laughs> and it was a, uh, you know, it was it was a good game. Like it was a, it, you know, both teams were playing really well. You know, first and foremost, like Utah was playing well. Oregon State was playing really well. Um, and and you know, from from that aspect, like it was a, it was a good, competitive, entertaining game. Right. Like just two teams just, you know, throwing punches with one another. Right. And so, you know, from that aspect, it was, you know, it was entertaining. There were a lot of big plays being made. Um, but with with that, like. So Cameron Rising, you know, played well. That Oregon State offensive line, man, like it was it was really impressive watching them work. Um, they ran like the same play, the same two plays. So the stretch zone play to the outside and the, the inside zone play, you know, kind of like a dive play you know, on the inside. They did some other things, but those were the, the two main staples of their offense throughout the night. And they were just, man, it was like watching, you know, a textbook, a how to on how to block those two plays. And, you know, unfortunately where Utah is normally, out against the run especially against a team like that where it's just you know two physical teams mauling one another you know Utah has won a lot of those battles you know Oregon State just had just got the better of of Utah not that night um in the in the run game and just kind of had their way so now that's really kind of the story of or I guess that's really kind of the difference in that game was just Oregon State's offensive line was was really really strong. They got a a punt block uh, return. They got two of them, but one was one was uh, there was a flag on one of them, uh, and so that was really kind of the turning point in that game was that punt block return for a touchdown. Um, I had somebody on our Utes on board actually share that when there's a punt block return for a touchdown. Like that team normally wins like eighty percent of the games. Like it's it's a crazy. It was crazy number. It was like that was he he did state that that was like a statistic like twenty years ago. But still, like even if that was a stat twenty years ago, that's a darn impressive stat. Um, <laughs> so so that was that was kind of it. Like Utah had their had some chances late in the game to tie it up. Unfortunately, they just you know came up short. Wow, that's a it's a real shame. Because they had a hefty lead at halftime, and then they let a little slip. So, um, right. I guess I guess I'll confirm the the statistic on the punt. I mean, and I think the number is closer to ninety than it is eighty for whatever it's worth. I have sat in many meetings where uh, old good friend Carl Winningham has kind of gone over the same number. It's some absurd number. It's like you know, if you and it might not be a punt block necessarily, but like a a special team score of of, of any kind. Uh, your chance of winning are like yeah ninety percent or eighty five percent. I mean it's just, and, and obviously a punt block is is pretty significant for uh, for pretty obvious reasons that I don't think I need to explain. But essentially, you know, you're you're giving the ball back to the opposition anyway, and you end up kind of just gifting them uh, right. six points, which <clears throat> far from ideal. There are issues there. I um I've kind of kept my mouth shut when it comes to uh the punt play of utah but maybe now seems like an okay time to kind of share my thoughts um the scheme has not 
changed since I was around. So it's been, oh, I don't know, when did I start? I, I took over in 2012. So it's about, the yeah, nine years, I guess. The scheme really hasn't changed a ton. It's basically the same. When Jay Hill went to Weber, Carl Whittingham put his own little tweak on it in 2014. But generally speaking, if you look at, you know, my 14, 15 year, and then you go and look through Mitch Wisnowski's punts and his career and then Benny Lennon and now, of course, Cam Peasley, it's basically the same scheme. And at this point, I think it's just uh, way too easy for opposing teams to attack. Uh, and especially, you know, no Keegan Margruff, the long snapper. Right. Whittingham surely would have known going into this this fixture against uh, against Oregon State that they were going to bring pressure to try and rattle the punter and put uh, put more pressure on the long snapper. And they did exactly that, and they they they, they did it well. Um, and so there's certainly concern there. Um, the punter cam also has to be. Sharper, you can tell when he's, you can tell when he's back there. He's kind of moving his feet a ton, and, and he he looks a bit, he looks too nervous. He needs to be more controlled and composed. And, and and long story short, there's a ton going on 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 the pump team that that is not ideal for Utah football. So you better believe the rest of the way through, a lot of pressure coming to Cam Peasley. And uh, if Utah can't figure it out, that will not be the only punt block uh, the rest so, of the way. Curious, like. So what's like an easy fix to address, you know, the punt team? Well, so a lot of the emphasis uh, right now, and it has been, is on coverage. So when you watch the guys up front, um, they're not really blocking. They're they're pushing. But that's what they're being taught to do. They push. They tell You tell them to push them. uh, And if you can push them backwards, great. But you're generally going to push them to the side. And on the rare occasion, you'll see them push them further towards the punter only accelerating their speed which is no good but i i I think we're at a point now where we have to especially with cam who's more of a pro style maybe think about going to a kind of an nfl punt scheme where you create that kind of inverted horseshoe uh, or inverted u whatever you want to call it Uh, and you've got to be able to you've got to be able to protect your punter uh, because right now it's it's not it's not working. So I mean, part of it too was uh, when I was around. My what I was able to do really well. Cam doesn't do really well, but what Cam can do really well, I didn't do very well. I mean, there are just like so many variables that are in play here. And so uh, my whole thing was it didn't matter how many people you rushed me out. I was always going to get the ball off. Uh, you could never block it, basically. But Cam hits more traditional style, which means his head's down. And his head's not looking at the rush the whole time. And so therefore, if the blocking up front is not what it needs to be, you are probably going to be in some trouble, especially when you've got three shield members in front of you and you've got five guys that are attacking the three shield. I mean, there's all, it's always going to pose problem. Um, so anyway, we'll see what happens, but I have to, I have to assume that uh, some changes are going to be made. Uh, and what I would look for is the blocking technique and style on the line of scrimmage and see how if there's any hold-up play at all or if they continue to just kind of... There's, there's a word for it. I can't remember the word they use for it now. But anyway, it's 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 a bit messy at the minute. So uh, Cam's, Cam's okay. He's not great. He's in his own head, which is never good for a punter. But we will uh, push forward, Steve. We'll push forward and try and get him into the... Right headspace and uh, maybe 
feed him a few dirty Dr. Peppers to loosen him up. And uh, we all need a few dirty Dr. Peppers every now and then, don't we, Tom? I think so. (laughs) Cam is 21, by the way. He's 21, so he's legal. But okay, uh, there we go. anyway, so yeah, I, look, that's basically all I have to say on that. I, uh, I'm not allowed to help. I'm not, well, that's not true. I, I'm allowed to hang out with Cam as, you know, I'm allowed to hang out with anybody. It's my life. I can do what I want with it, but I'm not allowed to go to practice and, and actually be there and walk him through things because um, I actually don't know why. I'm, I'm assuming there's an NCAA rule out there. I think there is. You're, you're technically considered a, uh, like a booster, I guess. And I, oh, I learned know. that out the hard way. Oh yeah, with uh, Ben. With Ben, yeah, I it's horrible. About that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. horrible. So Utah can't stop the run, Steve. That's cool. Uh, was it? Is this a one-off? <laughs> Sorry, is this a one-off? Do you think? I mean, like, like so before the game, you and I we did a podcast last week. We talked about. Right. You stop the run, you beat Oregon State, blah, blah, blah. B.J. Taylor or Baylor, whatever his name is, ended up going for 150. I think it was two yards in the end. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Oregon State won. Is this just a result of Oregon State being superior running the football? Because because not every pack – I mean, like UCLA is a good run team too, and we'll get to that in a minute, but they're different. Um, is this a one-off in your opinion? You know, this is something that if you look at at who Utah has played this season, right? So Oregon State, pretty similar to San Diego State, pretty similar to BYU, right? In terms of their commitment to run the ball, like that San Diego State game was just ridiculous. Like San Diego State refused to throw the ball. Um, And, you know, they've got those physically uh, imposing, mauling offensive linemen, you know, all three of those teams. And that's really – um, you know, where Utah has struggled the most is against those um, those strong offensive lines that are just committed to to pushing you off your spot. And so it's uh, it's certainly something that, you know, it's not just a one-off. Clearly, you know, it's not just a one-off. This is this is the uh, this is the Achilles heel of this Utah defense this this season. Um and so, you know, how do you fix it? Uh, you know, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they make adjustments, right? Because, I, I like, Kyle Whittingham touched on it in his press conference on Monday. You know, the guys up front, they're just, they're just too young, too light, right? Like, uh, Utah, the Utah defense is at its best when they've just got gigantic dudes, you know, a defensive tackle that are just eating up blocks, um, keeping linebackers free and they don't have those guys, you know, in the defensive line this year, you know, they've, they're, he mentioned they're 295, 290 pounds, like you to John Penasini while they were listed at, you know, whatever they were, 315, 325, they were, you know, they were pushing 350, 340, like they were big dudes. And, uh, and, and so that's really kind of the, the, the difference this year. And, and so, um, it's, this is going to be an issue, right? Like it's, it's always going to be something that Utah has to be mindful of each and every week. And with the rest of their schedule, the nice thing is, is you don't play Oregon state every week, the rest of the way, right? You're, you're going to play Arizona. You're going to play Colorado and Stanford, which aren't as great 
in the trenches this season. However, still got UCLA and Oregon, which maybe aren't as good as Oregon State, uh, but they're pretty darn close uh, blocking up. Front. So, you know, it uh, it's it's going to be a concern the rest of the season. Uh, and so I'm I'm really interested to see how Utah responds this week against UCLA because while they're not the same type of run team, you know they're they're more option based than Oregon State is. Um, they still are pretty effective uh, blocking in the run game and moving guys off their spots. So uh, how Utah responds will be pretty interesting to see. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be it'll be it'll be fascinating. I uh, I'm still having a really hard time understanding or wrapping my head around why Devin Lloyd was ejected. Like like I understand the premise of it. Like I get it. He, right. he lowered his head. He he hit he hit him in with the crown of his helmet. Like, but my word, I mean, yep. Why? You know it. It's letter of the law type thing, right? And like. If, uh, you know, it's the right call. Obviously, the refs made the right call, I think. You know, I know Whittingham <laughs> and and others maybe disagree. Like, it, it sucks. It sucks that that's the call, but that's the call. He led with the crown of the helmet, you know, regardless of whether it's in his in the guy's gut or not. Like, he still led with the crown of the helmet. And that's, you know, that's exactly what they're trying to get rid of and protect the players from. So it sucks. Like it sucks. I think, you know, I wouldn't have made the call. You wouldn't have made the call. Uh, so it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And now obviously he's going to be out for the first half. You know, I wish they had like different degrees of, of, of targeting calls. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like really bad hits to the head that are just incredibly dangerous, you know, Give that guy two weeks. I don't care. You know, like, yeah, that's an idiot. Get him out of here for two. But like for what Devin did where he lowered the crown, but he hit him in the numbers and it was, I don't think intentional. I, I, I mean, I don't know, but like, come on, that's half a game. Or, or you know what? Even better, a warning. Like, hey, man, we don't do that around here. Let's, let's not do that again. Oh, I'm so sorry. You do it again. You get in the game. Oh, okay. Thanks. Because like the quarterback didn't get hurt, Devin didn't get. Hurt. I don't know. It just um, it infuriates me that you know like yeah. Devin Lloyd gets a week, and then the guy that leaves his feet from five yards away from the quarterback and tries to rip the the, the, the guy's neck off, you know, gets one week too. It's like no, that shouldn't that's not right because they're two different. Right. Anyway, I mean, I, we're getting into the weeds when it comes to how do you distinguish between certain hits and whatnot. I look, I don't know, but Devin Lloyd's not going to be around. And, and I guess this is where I was going, Steve, for the first half of the UCLA game. So when Chip Kelly turns on the tape from Oregon state, U- Utah and sees how effective Oregon state can, you know, were rushing the football against Utah, he's got to be licking his chops saying, well, look, we may not be rushing the football in the exact same manner that Oregon state is, but we're, we're certainly going to ground and pound it against Utah. We're going to make these, we're going to make these uh, these young, uh, light defensive linemen kind of hustle. And uh, and so I have to assume Chip Kelly's just going to throw everything he has at Utah from a rushing attack. No, absolutely. And so the thing here is, 
you know, UCLA and Oregon State, they do utilize different personnel where Oregon State is probably more 12 personnel where they've got two tight ends, which kind of demands that you play three linebackers, you know, on the field. UCLA is more 11 personnel. They've got Greg Dolchich. Actually, no, they they're probably fairly equal between 11 and 12 personnel because they've got Michael Iziki, who's uh, a bigger body receiver slash tight end. Um, but just with their commitment to the spread offense, like Utah probably plays more nickel this week, but you're going to have Nephi Sewell. You're going to have Kareni Reed, you know, playing linebacker this year um, or not this year, this week. And, you know, yeah, if you're Chip Kelly, like you're probably looking at that, like, man, we can, we can be really aggressive with the run game and get after these guys. And how Utah adjusts without Devin Lloyd, like if I'm Scally, like I'm thinking of this as like, all right, we've got a first half here where we've got to be a little more creative maybe, where we've got to be maybe a little more aggressive, where, you know, instead of playing our traditional style, like maybe we come out and, you know, we, we blitz our linebackers more frequently where we're just shooting gaps and that kind of stuff. Like that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for, like the chess match where you can't necessarily replace Devin Lloyd in his absence, but maybe you can make up for it in another sense where, you know, you just come out with a, a more aggressive game plan that, you know, puts these guys ahead of things uh, instead of having to take on blocks and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, man, it's, it's going to be a test like this, this UCLA run game. It's really good. They've got, two really good running backs, one really, really good running back in, in, uh, in Charbonnet. He was a kid that I remember watching, you know, what was it? He was a 2019, 2018 kid. I can't remember the recruiting cycle, but he was a kid where when I watched his tape, I was like, man, this kid is good. Like it was apparent then. And, and, uh, and he's, he's really, really good. He's an explosive guy for a, an explosive athlete for su- being such a big body at six one two twenty. Like he, he just is so explosive, so quick uh, and powerful. Like he's, he's a really good, good talent. And so it's, you know, Utah is going to have to bring it. Um, one thing that Utah's really struggled with this season uh, is, is missed tackles. They've, they've missed a lot of tackles this season, more so than um, any season over the last four years. They've, they've missed a higher rate of tackles this year. They're missing so they've got to tackle better this year or this this week for sure uh, against these these UCLA running backs. Yeah, uh, and 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 make I think make no mistake, Donovan Thompson Robinson, the quarterback for UCLA, he can run the football too. Um, he's got wheels, he's got legs, he's about as athletic of a quarterback as as I've seen. I mean, he's he's really good. Uh, the knock on him though, Steve, he's not perfect. Uh, because right. if he was perfect with his sort of athleticism, he'd be a Heisman candidate year in and year out. He can throw the football, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, he can throw it, but he doesn't have much touch when he does throw it. His accuracy can be a little wayward, and it's on the deep balls, if I'm not mistaken, the deep throws that he tries to 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 connect on are really, really suspect. Is that true? Sorry, Tom, you broke up. Oh, that's all right. I, I was recalling Donovan Thompson, when he's throwing the football, it's it's when he throws deep that 
that he really has a hard time, right? Yeah, yeah. So looking at DTR, like he's not the best passer, right? Like he's a very good athlete, um, but just his accuracy down the field is pretty suspect. Um, you know, he's probably more athlete uh, that can throw than he is quarterback that can run. You know, I think that's kind of the old adage with dual threat quarterbacks. Um, and so he's, I'm pulling it up here. He, uh, but like, he's done a, he's done a good job. He's improved over, you know, the last couple of seasons, not by much, but he's gotten better as a passer. Um, and so, you know, with his pass distribution, a lot of stuff is going to come, um, you know, in the short and, you know, around the line of scrimmage, but he's going to take some shots. Like he's going to try to move the ball down the field. He's not completing a great percentage. I think he's, he's right around like 23% completion on attempts, 20, 20 plus yards down the field. So he's not completing a lot of, of throws down, you know, deep down the field. Part of that is I don't think that they have, I want to be respectful because they have good receivers, but you know, there's just a certain type of receiver that does really well deeper down the field, you know, where you've got a guy like, for example, so like Devon Bailey, like he's not a great explosive athlete. He's a very good athlete, but his frame at six, four, his leaping ability that allows him to, you know, maybe be more of a threat deeper down the field than you would think. Jalen Dixon, you know, he's got elite speed. Um, and he can get deep down the field. Like UCLA, they've got very good receivers, but maybe just guys that aren't aren't suited to, you know, for success, for the most success deep down the field. But they they work really well in the intermediate um and and shorter passing game, you know, where they're it's more about, you know, route running and creating separation and that kind of stuff. Um they do really well there. Like uh Thompson Robinson, I think, is completing uh, he's completing about 76%, almost 80% of his passes around the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, as he gets deeper down the field, it, it trends towards 65, 60% of his, of his passes, but he's, you know, he's throwing the ball. Well, the question is like, how well is that shoulder going to be coming into Saturday? Um, you know, as of Monday, a lot of the talk out of UCLA was that he like DTR just wasn't going to play. And, you know, Whittingham, Whittingham was adamant that he thought DTR was going to play. And so, um, you know, he was pretty convinced DTR was going to play. And it is like from the people that cover UCLA, it does sound like it's trending that way that DTR is, you know, he's miraculously recovered, according to, to one, uh, one person that covers the, uh, the team. And it sounds like he's going to play Saturday or at least is trending towards it. Yeah, he's always had a, a difficult time with injuries, old DTR. He's, yeah. He gets banged up, and uh, he, he's not the biggest of, of bodied quarterbacks. And he, he takes – I mean, he takes too many shots. Cam Rising took too many shots for what it's worth uh, against Oregon State, too. He has to be you know, a little careful because uh, – although Cam, I think, is a little bigger than, than DTR, at least wider. Oh, he's got the hashtag. He's got the hashtag. So uh, – I can't. I still can't believe that hashtag's real. So funny. <laughs> <Dick boy said. laughs> 
<laughs> so funny, dude. At, like, like Utah's tweeting it, and I'm like, Utah's tweeting it. Like, I'm, I'm, I've obviously included it in my articles, but now you've got like people at the like Josh Newman at the Tribune. You got like KSL Sports. You know, like everybody is like including it in their in their articles now. Like it's it's crazy. This thing is taking over. That's uh, funny, man. I uh, uh it offers a laugh, so it's fun. Um, hey, so Simi Simi Mawala, a lot of speculation about him. What's been going on surrounding it? We don't need to get into details per se, Steve, but uh, he has entered his name into the transfer portal and will not be a member of the Utah football team going forward. Correct. That, yeah, it sounds like that's the case. And, and really, um, you know, this kind of goes back. Like we haven't seen him. Like Utah obviously made the, uh, the changes along the offensive line that they did after that San Diego State game. But even going into that game, Utah had made changes to their offensive line. Um, you know, they removed Simi uh, Moala from the starting lineup going into that game. Um, and, and so from there, like Moala just – uh, just hasn't hasn't been seen, hasn't been on the field, um, and so you know it's not surprising, you know, with with that in mind, that this is ultimately what what the result is, um, and and so you know, Simi Moala enters the transfer portal, and I'm you know, actually working on a piece at Ute Zone, kind of looking at the future of the offensive line and what to expect, but. You know, the good thing here is that, you know, with the changes that have been made um, along the offensive line and just, you know, on the offensive side in general, uh, the offensive line has played really, really well. Um, You know, since that Washington State game, actually, so let me back up. So there is this metric um, on pro football focus that that just kind of it rates, it's not necessarily a grade where it's subjective. It rates, you know, how many pressures compared to how many pass plays, um, you know, and Utah was, um, was one of the worst during those first three weeks of the season. They were, I think they finished ranked 100th, um, in, in this metric, um, through those first three, three weeks. Um, and that's, you know, you're down there with Kansas, you're down there with UAB, Southern Alabama, like programs that you just like Utah should not be in the company of no offense to those programs, like obviously, but just the talent difference between Utah and those programs is just it, you should not be um, playing that poorly. Uh, and so since they made the changes, they moved Daniels out to right tackle, they, they brought in Keaton Bills to play left guard. Um, you know, obviously, Jaron Kump was at left tackle. He went down with the injury. Bam comes in, and he's played really well. Since that, since those things have happened, you know, that Washington State, USC, ASU, and Oregon State game, Utah has been the 23rd best offensive line in this in this metric. And so now you're up there with the Minnesotas, the Notre Dames, Cincinnati. They're all in, the, and that's. That's where Utah should be performing. That's where this offensive line should be. You know, those are the teams that you want to be associated with when you're talking about the offensive line. So, um, so they've made improvements, and I think that above all else is is the important thing here. But obviously, with Simi, uh, he enters the the transfer portal, and he'll be looking for an opportunity to play elsewhere. Like Simi, Simi was great. I always had great interactions with Simi. Um, just a, a fun character, 
Uh, and, you know, he was always good for a laugh or two at practice, um, you know, on some days. And so uh, he'll be missed just in terms of, you know, his personality and, and what he brought to the field, what he meant to the program and stuff. But, um, you know, he's uh, he's obviously decided to uh, to move on. And and uh, and so we'll uh, we'll see where he ends up. Uh, you were talking about those metrics and I remember we were talking about how it just every year, it seems like Utah's offensive line gets off to the slowest of starts and who would have bloody thought that it would have, it, it happened again this year, the slowest of starts. I mean, in all seriousness, Utah's offensive line was deplorable to start this season. Right. I feel like for the last, I don't know, X amount of years, They've just been so poor early. They got to figure it out. I mean, I I don't have an answer. I don't know why that is, but but yeah, it's not it's not good. It's not good. They need to figure something out. Um, all right. Uh, a few housekeeping notes. The number twenty two will be retired this Saturday evening between the first and second quarter. If you go into the game, stay in your seats, pay your respects to the late Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan. Those. Two number 22 jerseys are going to be hung in the rafters. They're the first time Utah football's ever retired number, which is really cool. Um, uh, and then, of course, the Davey O'Brien Award. I guess Cam Rising is uh, starting to make some national headlines with his quarterback play. He's been announced as, is it a semi-finalist? See? Semi-finalist. Yeah. Semi, yep. Sorry, yep. I asked you that. Right, you're taking a swig of your drink. Uh, <laughs> semi-finalist for the Davey O'Brien Award. I think you can vote on it too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so that's that's what it that's what's going on. So we're you're voting um, for Cameron Rising, and voting goes, I think, for another week or so, and then they'll announce the semi-finalists from this group of players. Oh man! Well, head on over to uh, uh, Ute Zone. Or Utah football on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure there's a link. Go find the link. Be technologically savvy, will you? We don't have it for you right now. But um, massive game. Steve, let's just, I just want to conclude here. Utah beats UCLA this weekend. How do they lose the South? Great question, Tom. (laughs) It's uh, like, that's, that's, I mean, that really kind of sums up how important this game is for Utah. Like, you, you, if you beat UCLA, you've got wins over UCLA, ASU, and USC. All the, you know, all the teams that were considered the contenders in the South Division, you, you've got it, right? Like, so it's, it's huge. And that provides you a lot of breathing room. But obviously with Arizona State, Despite the fact that Utah has the tiebreaker, um, you know, they can still run the table. And so, you know, every game is important. Um, but yeah, it's, this is a, this is a big one. This would give Utah a big leg up on, on the rest of, of the division. Uh, but, you know, you, uh, you still need to take care of business the rest of the way because this is, this is kind of what, like, what happened in 2019 where USC had the, the tiebreaker over Utah, Utah had to run the table. I think USC lost in like a couple games too. So like that helped obviously. And so that's, that's kind of the thing here, but yeah, if you get this one against UCLA, it's a big one for you. Yeah. Massive. So yeah, Arizona state and Utah both have one conference loss 
Utah's to Oregon State, Arizona State's to Utah. So I guess in that sense, although there is the tiebreaker that Utah holds, but another slip-up by Utah would give Arizona State the advantage because they still only would have that one conference loss. But if Arizona State slips up again and Utah, say, loses to to, to UCLA, the tiebreaker would go in favor of. So I, I do believe uh, that Utah – and I, look, UCLA is still hanging around. They're three yeah. and two. I mean, they only have two conference losses. So I guess it's it's certainly not as wide open as maybe I first uh, envisioned or thought. So massive, massive game. My goodness. Eight o'clock, Rice-Eccles Stadium, ESPN is broadcasting. So uh, if you're not going to the game, get your uh, your HD goggles out to enhance your uh, viewing experience. Uh, he's Steve Bartle. I'm Tom Hackett. Check Steve out at sbartle247 on myself at Tom Can't Hackett. This podcast is sponsored by Nate Wade Subaru. We love and appreciate them. Steve, my man, be well. Thanks, uh, thanks as always. Thanks, Tom. friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.